We're going to begin in verse 1 and read all the way to verse 35. May the the God of heaven and earth grant us much light as we gaze upon His Son in this passage. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper, and laid aside His garments, and took a towel, and girded Himself. After that He poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith He was girded. Then cometh He to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto Him, Lord, dost Thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Now fix your heart and mind right there. It says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the Scripture may be fulfilled, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on uh, another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, 
that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, <clears throat> as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, all men know, by this, excuse me, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now may the Lord bless the reading of this wonderful passage to our hearts. Brethren, shortly before the Lord Jesus Christ entered into His agony on the cross for the salvation of His people, He instructed His disciples. He gave them a glorious lesson. And He worked it out in front of them. He gave them an example which is to be an example for us. It says in verse 1, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, brethren, the Son of God became flesh that He might save His people from their sins. God became a man to pay their debt by His broken body and His shed blood upon the cross of Calvary. He knew that this was His purpose. And now He begins to enter in to that extraordinary time that's going to lead to the cross. And what does He do? He has fellowship with those that He loves. And then He gives them a glorious example of how they ought to love one another. Amazingly, the Lord Jesus Christ took on His body the filth of His friends. He got down on His hands and knees. He girded Himself with the towel 
and washed their feet. And that was considered in those days the filthiest part of the body. We don't think that in our day, but so they thought it. And he washed the filthiest part of the body to express to them not only his great love for them, but how they were to love one another. He says, now you don't even understand what I'm doing right now. But you will. You will. We see that Peter resisted this at first. And then in his characteristic way, he overreacts. No, you won't wash my feet. If I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. Wash, wash everything then. I want to make sure. And the Lord said, no, that's not necessary. He that is washed needeth not to save, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. The traitor was amidst them. And it is amazing that the Lord in his mercy and in his grace showed this kind of servant's heart even to his very enemy. Christ Himself that taught us to love our enemies. And here He shows Him a kindness. Now had we planned all of this, if we'd have known who the one that was going to betray us was, doubtless we wouldn't have invited Him to this glorious time of fellowship. We'd have uh, left our goodbyes to Him perhaps for another time. But the Lord Jesus Christ draws these that He loves so dearly together. He shows them this extraordinary act of love and humility. And even shows kindness to His enemy. Then, His traitor goes out and the Lord Jesus Christ gives His dear children a new commandment. And that is the title of our message this evening. A new commandment. It tells us here that the Lord Jesus Christ loved His own which were in the world. And He loved them unto the end. And He displays it here in a way that is remarkable. Here is the living God come in the flesh. So we want to consider this new commandment under these heads. First, we want to consider the character of the giver of the new commandment. Then we want to consider the character of the new commandment itself. And finally, last of all, the character of His people. Notice in verse 34, it says, A new commandment. I give unto you. Well, why is it that he can say this to his friends? It's because verse 13 says, Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, Well, for so I am. The character of the giver 
of this commandment is extraordinary. Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, all authority given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that He was come from God and went to God. He knew who He was. It was no mystery. Even though those that followed Him often were unclear. What manner of man is this? He knew who He was. Here we have the Logos, the Word, the Eternal Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This one became man. And here, brethren, we see a picture that is extraordinary. It's breathtaking that the high, the holy, the eternal Son of God girds himself with a towel gets on his hands and knees and washes the filthiest part of the body of all his disciples. We can understand why Peter recoiled at this. In these days, disciples that followed their masters would do anything for them. They carried their scrolls. They would, they would do any minute task on their behalf. They would do anything to exalt their teacher. But here the teacher is on his hands and knees washing the dust and the dirt off of their feet. Who is it? The Master and the Lord. This is backwards in our thinking. When we should be holding His feet, kissing His feet, washing His feet, doing any and everything conceivable for such a one, He's touching the dirtiest part of His disciples' bodies and taking and cleansing their filth at His expense. Brethren, He's showing a glorious picture of what He's about to do on the cross. He's about to take all of their filth upon Himself to cleanse them The one on his hands and knees is the creator of heaven and earth. The Old Testament says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who hath done that? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? 
or being his counselor, hath taught him. With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge? And showed to him the way of understanding? Obviously the answer is no one. These are the kind of answers that are, bring, are to bring us into the dust. And make us realize who it is we're dealing with. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh the isles as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will ye liken God. See him on his hands and knees, brethren. Does this not stretch our imaginations past their boundaries? The New Testament speaks of the Lord Jesus saying, Who being the brightness of His glory, God the Father's glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Who is this on His hands and knees? He is the one who is now seated at the right hand of glory. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This great, grand, glorious Creator of all things. This One who has accomplished the Father's will and seated in heaven, ruling and reigning in majesty and glory and interceding for His children, has taken off His outer garment and is on His hands and knees. Cleansing those that He loved to the end. Those who would very shortly abandon Him in His darkest hour. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us. God gave Him hands and wrists and elbows and knees so He could crawl on that floor for His dear children's sake. He became as a servant. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. The Lord Jesus says, For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat? Right, he's saying now, look, you got the head of the house, the Lord of the house, sitting there eating. You got his servant waiting on him. Who's the great one there? Well, the answer is obvious the one sitting at the table that everyone's waiting on. The Lord Jesus says, But I am among you as he that serveth. Matthew chapter 20. 
verse 28. Matthew chapter 20. Again, our beloved Lord says, even, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Brethren, do you understand all that's uh, conveyed in that glorious sentence? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered. We're talking about the eternal Son of God, born of a virgin, born under the law. He came into this dark world. He came into His own. And His own received Him not. All of the glories of God's eternal purpose seen in that babe born of the virgin and then growing up increasing in wisdom and in stature before men living in a household where his own brothers and sisters did not believe him His mother and father were often puzzled. He came into a nation that had had the glorious prophecies for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as a whole, they rejected Him. Who is this? On His hands and knees, He's the one who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And He gave His life a ransom for many. We see that in that blessed one washing the dirty feet of His disciples. The living God in the flesh cleansing his dear children, loving them to the end. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The amazing thing, is that Paul says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This is the very thing that we've been enunciating. The Logos, the Creator, the Lord, the Master, 
And brethren, here we are charged to think as He thought. Love is not a feeling. It is the determined obedience to the law of God. It is the self-willed choice to show goodness and the righteousness of God's laws and commandments to those who are utterly unworthy. But especially to those He loves. And at our own cost, let this mind be in you. The Lord Jesus Christ was not burning in shame as He got down on His hands and knees and washed those feet. And yet here, all I can say is that we gaze upon a scene that must have made the angels astonished in wonder. Here is our Creator. Here is the One who spoke and all came into existence. He has assumed flesh. Look at Him. And now, He washes the feet of those who will very shortly deny that they know Him. We stand in awe. The Lord Jesus Christ had that mind. I will cleanse my bride. I will cleanse those that I love. I will wash them. And we're commanded by the Holy Spirit to think in those same ways. Oh, I cannot bear your sins. Neither can you bear mine. We're not talking about the redemptive work of God. But that glorious redemption works out in our emulating our Master as we look to magnify and glorify Him by obeying His command and washing one another's feet. In looking for those ways that humbles us and edifies our brethren. This is the character of the giver of this commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. If this is the case, is there one here too high, too mighty to do the same? If the Son of God has given us this example if this is the mind we're to have, then, O oh, brethren, let us examine ourselves and say, how am I honoring Him and obeying this? Am I looking for those ways? Am I just a pew potato sitting there taking in Bible facts? Or am I someone whose life is being changed and transformed to think and to act this way? 
Did we not just sing a few moments ago, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If I'm washed as white as snow, then that character should be growing and increasing in this mortal frame. Let's consider then the character of the new commandment for a few moments. The Lord Jesus in this chapter says, A new commandment I give unto you. What made it new? (coughs) It was not new because it existed a short time only. Or because it had recently come into being. Or because it had recently been discovered or introduced to their knowledge. Or because it was modern. Or because it was strange. Or alien. Or unknown. Loving one another was something taught in the Old Testament. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Brethren, loving one's neighbor was not new. Look at 19, chapter 34. Same chapter, verse 34. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 36. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Don't miss the significance of of what's being said here. The Lord Jesus is saying that the very sum of the 39 books of the Old Testament is about loving God and loving one another. That's not a new covenant idea alone. Well, what then is new? 
brethren, the newness is that it has come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say, love one another as you love yourself. He says, I am the standard. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, brethren, how do we learn about that kind of love then? Where? Then we must go to Christ. We must go to Matthew. We must go to Mark. We must go to Luke. We must go to John. And see the incarnate Son of God as He lives every moment of His life to the glory of His Father. Let's look and see how our beloved Lord loved His dear disciples. And then let us love in that way. In the Old Testament it was set before them in tables of stone. The Lord Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And then the Spirit in regeneration writes His laws upon our tables of flesh. And we walk in His glorious Word. And He lived it out before us. Brethren, we see in the Lord Jesus Christ what the law looks like on two legs. Here's the righteous will of God. Here's the righteous character of God set before us in a way that we cannot miss. And He says, now I'm going to do something. You're not going to understand it now. But you will. I'm giving myself for you. I humble myself for your cleansing. Now you do the same. Wash one another's feet. You're right. I'm your master and your Lord. And that's why this is a lesson that will never leave you. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ on His hands and knees full of grace and truth. Well, brethren, that obviously leads to our last thought. And that is the character of His people. Verse 35 of John 13 says, By this. By what? By your love for one another. Shall all men know that ye are My disciples. If ye have love, one, for another. Brethren, this is the singular characteristic of God's people. Do you hear the Master? Do you hear the Lord? Do you see the Master? And do you see your Lord? He's given us an image so that we might understand how this love is to be worked out. There's not a task too low for you and I to do for one another out of a choice to humble ourselves and build one another up. 
Brethren, this is the singular characteristic of God's people. I'm not talking about uh, a gushy, mushy kind of feeling that comes over us. But a people who with all of their hearts and minds and souls look for how they can serve one another at their own expense. A Christ-like love for one another. Doctrinal purity. An ardent orthodoxy, though crucial, are not named here. I don't know anybody that will fight for the doctrinal truths that we hold any more intensely than I. But the Lord Jesus here does not say, By this shall all men know you are my disciples. And you take out your five-point star and run around and say, I believe in predestination. And brethren, I know many people that that's the touchstone of Christianity. But the Lord didn't say that here. By this! Shall all men know denominational affiliation though it may serve a purpose is not named here. Fervor and zeal for personal convictions is not named here. Concern for and resistance against wickedness It's important. But it's not named here. Baptism, whatever the mode. Though a clear command of Christ and must be obeyed, is not named here. Study and memorization of the Scripture, essential to the Christian life, is not named here. High standards of righteousness and holy living, though vital, are not named here. Am I saying all of these other things are not important? No. What I'm saying is that if they do not result in an action like that, like Christ on His knees, they're not doing you any good. Neither are they doing anyone else any good. It is not doctrine as opposed to life. It's not life as opposed to doctrine. It is the truth of God worked out in our lives. And brethren, when we're not that, then we ought to shut down, sell the building, and go find a place where they live this. Nothing else exhibits before the lost world the power and truth of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, like our sacrificial giving of ourselves according to the truth to one another.
And at the times that it is clear and in a harmony with the Word of God, even our enemies. Nothing else exhibits before the lost world the radical force of a changed life. I've seen people who profess to be converts and they run around with their Bible and spew out all the verses that they're memorizing. But their lives speak nothing of the humility of Christ set before us. Nothing else exhibits before the lost world its impotency, its lostness, and the vanity of its own darkened hearts. Oh, it can take up a good cause when it wants to feel good about itself. But the love of Christ is manifest for those that are unworthy for the purpose of bringing glory to God not ourselves. The world has nothing that can motivate men and women to this. It has nothing. And nothing else so thoroughly defeats Satan. His hellish schemes, the powers of darkness, and their attempts to divide the Lord's children. Then a humble love and service to one another. It's hard to be angry with that brother who's just washed your feet. It's hard to bear a grudge against that brother or that sister that constantly lavishes himself upon you. He may not have any money to give you, he may not have any things to give you. But when He washes your feet, that moves the heart. Are we Christians? How will the world know? Is it because we put up a sign and say, Christians meet here? Is it because we're good Bible thumpers? Is it because we're, we're better at our doctrinal stance than others? Not in and of itself. I'm not throwing out doctrine. I'm saying that the truth of God must transform us, brethren. And when we wash one another's feet, as our Lord and our Master did, as we more clearly understand, because we are often as dull as the disciples, when we live a life that's more characteristic of on our hands and knees than sitting up in our pride and in our thrones, the world will know that we are His. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www. 
swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.